0: Hello, this is part two of my interview with Shane Williams, Unleashing Self-Belief for Greatness. If you missed part one, that was about leadership elevated, unleashing success through continuous learning and curiosity, where Shane talked about leadership, his motto, leadership comes from within the difference between giving direction and holding a vision as a leader versus merely just managing tasks. He talked about how to foster psychological safety within your team and his always be learning attitude. Leadership is not a title, it's a commitment to growth and excellence. That was an excellence I should say, which is excellent, yeah. That was all in part one. This is part two about the power of self-belief, the game changer mindset that allows you to start a conversation with anyone, and Shane's personal transformation from an introverted 19-year-old to an accomplished thought leader and public speaker. This is part two. Let's dive in. Love you a long time. Welcome to Rise and Thrive, Conversations for Greatness. We bring you captivating conversations with extraordinary individuals who have conquered challenges, achieved greatness, and are making a positive impact in the world. This is your go-to source for inspiration and motivation. I'm your host, John Merkus. And I know it's interesting that you mention about farming, because I know the second podcast you're on, Manufacturing Tech Australia, that you host and lead, I know you co-host it, It I wanted to ask you that a little bit about that because I can now see how you led to that because that's something that you've been exposed to that you're interested in and, and now you're off learning more about that and interviewing people about that and going to those uh, uh, shows. Uh, what do they call expos or yeah, yeah, yeah and, and things like that. So because I saw something the other day that blew my mind, and I thought I really want to ask Shane about this because you might be seeing some of this because you are around it and and in those conversations I saw a video of an unmanned McDonald's there was no human being in the McDonald's now this is manufacturing hamburgers right but I know your uh, journey has taken you on to um, automation and and things like that and, and, and robotics I guess and AI to a certain extent so what's some of the things in the manufacturing tech arena whatever that's blowing your mind at the moment or that we really should know about because it's coming
1: I think it's really interesting is that depending on who you're speaking to there's vastly different perspectives on and how you'd answer that question right I was talking to an academic the other day and he said his frustration is that in Australia we're not talking about industry 5.0 and maybe we should be talking about industry 5 and, and what does that mean and I made the comment and said, well, I agree, maybe that's not a bad, you know, goal or objective or whatever. But I think depending on where you are in Australia, there's a good, you know, 90% plus of the manufacturing businesses in Australia are small businesses, right? And a lot of them are family owned. And many of them aren't even at industry two and a half, let alone five, right? But like, there's a long way to go in terms of opportunity. So... You know, people are getting mesmerized by, you know, the popularization of, of artificial intelligence with, you know, things like large language models and chat GPT, for example. In the manufacturing supply chain space, there's a massive amount of opportunity there, particularly driven by post-COVID and the supply chain challenges that we had and this realization that maybe we need to make a few more things here and maybe we need some more robustness in our supply chain. There's a whole bunch of opportunity in terms of leveraging tools like AI to enable supply chain and I think that's really exciting but what it means is a mindset shift you know is that we need to start sharing information between various manufacturers along that supply chain and transport and logistics and a few other things that are going to enable those AIs to churn the data and come up with the best possible you know these goods from here and here to this point do this move it through the chain and, and and optimize that requires people to start to share information and I just don't know that businesses are ready. So I think AI is one, um, and then there's derivatives of that, right? Robotics and whatnot. I think there's this, particularly in the, in the manufacturing space, there's kind of this two schools of thought on the on the robotics piece. One is, and and AI and all these other technologies is going to steal all the jobs. Mm. Um, so we're kind of fearful of it. And then there's the other. Yeah, well, that
0: was hence hence this Macca's video showing you know. In the future, there could be no human beings working in a McDonald's, or very few.
1: There should probably be no human beings buying McDonald's as well, but that's a whole different argument,
0: right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I think that's an interesting one, right? Because what it means is that, yeah, sure, there's going to be... I mean, I worked at Maccas as a kid, right? So there's going to be... Those are the sorts of entry-level jobs that kids who are in school who need some pocket money and that's useful for them, that those those might disappear. But I think it means that the re, the importance of education, the reshaping of our workforce is super important because it means that the jobs of the future are going to be the jobs that are building, maintaining and advancing these technologies, not necessarily the the, the roles that were traditionally there for the things that the robots are now doing. Look, I think so. I wrote about this in my blog a couple of weeks ago, um, which is so my eldest is 19. He's in his first year of his um, mechanics apprenticeship. And when he first decided he was going to be a mechanic, I uh, had a few folks, particularly in my tech circles, not necessarily, you know, friends and family who are in the trades. And they said, mate, like electric cars, mechanics aren't going to be needed anymore and all this sort of jazz. I find that fascinating that, the, that we've assumed that the electric car means the end of the, the mechanic. And you can already see, I mean, the, the, honestly, the mechanics book is about the, the trade school book has got to be a couple inches thick. And I don't know how much he's going to read. He's probably going to YouTube most of it. But the problem is, the assumption was that we don't need mechanics anymore. And I think it would be naive to go, well, just because you've got an electric car, are you going to start changing your own brake pads? Because the shit's still got to stop. And granted, you know, there's less wear and tear on the brakes because of the way that the electric motors work. But that's not the point, right? You're still going to need panel beaters and you're still going to need stuff. Oh, yeah, but eventually the car's going to drive themselves. He'll be retired by then, right? Like, there's still going to be cars that are being driven by humans for the foreseeable future and they're already changing the trade school stuff to focus them more on the electronics and focus them more on fault finding and battery tech and all these things. So the education is maybe slagging behind, but it's, it's, it's in terms of where it's taking the next generation of mechanics. They're not sitting there necessarily learning about, well, they probably still are, but learning about how to pull apart a carburetor. They're teaching them around, you know, fault find electronics and that sort of stuff, which I think is you know, a useful skill and is kind of pushing them towards the future of tech. So I don't think – the point I was making was don't just assume that jobs will disappear, they'll just change.
0: Yeah, I've also heard that there's you know, jobs in five years' time that haven't even been invented yet.
1: 100%. I mean, my youngest is 10 or 11. I really should know which number that is, but I'm going to say 10 or 11 just just <laughs> to keep it uh, you know, um, conspicuous or something. I reckon the job that he's going to land in probably hasn't been invented yet. And that's only 10 years away.
0: Yeah. And when you look at uh, people and this, who knows if this job's going to be around, but web designers and, and web creators, that wasn't a job however many years ago and there's plenty of those and that's going to evolve and whatnot. So I think what I'm hearing is it's just evolution happening and we've always adapted and changed with the evolution and done different things and some things might uh, disappear but other things will be created.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, those of us in... In leadership roles, it's incumbent upon us now to start to think about, you know, the leadership skills maybe that we honed and learned and needed to support the previous generations of employees probably need to change because their expectations are different, the way they think and learn is different, and therefore maybe the way they need to be led is different. And so, assuming that you know, the the person running the, uh, you know, let's call it industrial revolution level you know back in the day 40s workshop is not going to be the same leadership style that works in 10 years from now and that's mm. got to evolve as well and so i think that's probably incumbent upon us to uh, you know what the leadership book that we got taught back in i don't know let's call it my master's degree 10 years ago or whatever it was we're gonna to have to rewrite that thing in 10 years time
0: i'm glad you mentioned uh, your study because your commitment to constant and never-ending improvement and learning is super clear. You went and got yourself an MBA, did it while you were working full time. You're a family man with multiple kids, somewhere not sure about where they are. <laughs> 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 i'm glad you mentioned your study because you went and got yourself an mba you work full-time you're a family man with kids and that's a big commitment and it's really admirable because a lot of people think oh i'd like to study or i should study or whatever and you've got the thought but they don't take the action and then they don't take the first step so they don't take the last step and they're not sitting there with the standing there with their degree going wow, what an achievement, I've learned heaps and now this may give me uh, and open some doors that weren't open to me before. So with all that going on in your life, I think it's, is it a seven-year commitment?
1: Yeah, I think by the time I got both of them out of the road, it would have been seven, yeah, yeah, seven or eight, yeah.
0: So what motivated you to do that?
1: (laughs) So the honest answer is, as I said, back in the News Corp days, right? So one of my jobs circa, let's call it 2008, 2009, was a massive transformation restructure. Uh, And what I mean by that was historically, the News Corp organisations have been largely independent, right? So it was very tribal, Sydney versus Melbourne versus Brisbane. They had their own HR, their own finance, their own everything, independent businesses with sort of loose group function. And realising that the tide was turning in terms of revenues, the first cab off the rank in terms of consolidation was, well, we'll get the tech guys to do it first because they'll have to set up the infrastructure and the systems and the ways of working to enable consolidation and centralization of of services. And that will then enable us to consider it for other functions, finance, HR, et cetera. So we're talking about 2008, 2009. And we're working through, I was part of the executive group that was working through the strategy around this. And we sort of said, you know what, at the end of this, we'll have central functions for operational roles, central functions for customer support. And this is internal support for News Corp staff. And we came up and said, right, well, this is how it's going to look. And this is where we'll base them in terms of states. So we'll have you know, certain functions in Sydney and Adelaide and whatever. And I was sitting there going, I don't have a job at the end of this. I'm deliberately designing this with the best interest of the organization. And now I want to sit back and take a look at it from, from a selfish perspective, I'm like, I don't have a job. And so I thought, I know this is a couple of years of needs of work ahead before we will have achieved it. But at the end, I'm going to have to leave. There won't be anything for me. So the impetus for going to get an education was largely when I hit the street and I've done at that stage would have been, I don't know, let's say 10 plus years in the organisation. I don't have a degree qualification. I have a bunch of experience in one business. Uh, I feel like my CV would be a little bit light on compared to some of my contemporaries if I was going for similar jobs. So I probably should go and explore that. That was the impetus to do something. I got in there and I started to be inspired by the people I was meeting, I was inspired by the conversations, by the topics, some more than others, some lecturers more than others, but it was the other folks who were going on the same journey who, you know, you do group projects and whatnot and it was those relationships, those conversations, that understanding of their businesses through their lens and working on things that kind of kept me going.
0: But what I want to say about that is that you had the awareness to not, not just put your head in the sand, to go, I actually, even though it's a couple of years away, I want to be doing something about this and I feel these are the, these, this is the thing that I need to do. So I'm going to do the hard yards or be disciplined enough to be able to do it. So that's that's a great start as in that, that kicks you off. That was the motivation to start something. But what about also the motivation to keep going? Because I think many people including myself you start something and you don't finish or you want to learn something and you buy an online course with 15 videos and you do the first three and you never go back to it you know this kind of stuff you've you did it for seven years with all this other stuff going on in your life to be able to have that MBA you've
1: thrown a fair bit of money into this right if you think about each subject cost x amount of thousands of dollars and whatnot and books and all the time you put into it
0: hmm yeah, there was an investment there. You wanted to get some returns. Well, one hundred percent,
1: right? Like you could, you could literally go. Yeah, you know, I think there's like let's call it twenty one subjects or something you have to complete by the time you get to the end of two degrees, right? And so, and they're a few thousand bucks each. You could get eighty percent of the way there, spend all the money, and walk away with absolutely nothing. So this, I think, there's kind of a tipping point where you go, I almost feel like I have to finish this now. But you know, I've got two bits of paper on the wall behind me. That's useful. It starts a conversation. I think it was almost what at one stage in my career. I don't necessarily believe this now, but when I was around the time that I was still trying to complete those, it was almost like if you wanted to get an executive level role, a master's was your ticket to play. Right? You wouldn't even get through the the CV screening process unless you had something like that. Now, whether that's changing or not, it's up for debate, right? I almost feel like, you know, we have all these screening tools that are looking for certain things, but I think now employers are starting to think more around cultural fit and willingness to work and willingness to learn and maybe not necessarily having a piece of paper as being the most important thing, but I guess each to their own. It's going to be different depending on the organisation.
0: I've heard smart recruiters say their clients want to employ based on attitude, not skills, because they can teach you the skills. But if you come with the right mindset, like you were talking about, that is what they're looking for.
1: Yeah. And I think so, there's some interesting examples of that, right? There's an organization, it's a spin off of a recruitment firm, um, named Revelant. And their, their concept is there's a massive shortage of people who understand the Salesforce platform in terms of folks who can actually deliver stuff. And there's a whole, yeah, you know, Salesforce are really good at selling it. And then you need a whole bunch of people to implement and maintain it. And there's a shortage of folks who have got those skills. So their model was well, we can create them faster by taking people who've already got 10 or 15 years of industry experience around software engineering or t- digital transformation or maybe another product and uh, yeah, and saying, "Well, if we just teach you the Salesforce skills, you've already bring all this other, you know, expertise to the table and we can fast track you into a into a role and solve the problem of there not being enough people." Now, of course they have a commercial model that makes that worthwhile for them. But... And so I guess the point is if you've got the willingness and you've got the runs on the board in terms of I can demonstrate that I can get stuff done and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to get my hands dirty, then to your point, you can train the skills. And so these guys mm-hmm. are just doing the, well, we'll, do the, we'll give you the the foundational skills that you need and then you'll get on the job and you'll pick it up and you'll learn pretty quickly because we've kind of vetted you. So I think there's, you know, that's just an example of how that kind of applies from a commercial sense. But I think more broadly, you're right. The, I, I reckon the the leaders who've got it right are the ones who are saying, like, yeah, piece of paper's great. What I really want to see is demonstration and willingness to learn.
0: Yeah, and I guess the irony of it is that piece of paper does show that as well.
1: It can, but I mean, you know, if we're being honest, I was paired with a lot of folks in some of those classes in uni who were more interested in driving their car on the weekend and earning money than they were in doing the assignments. And they got the same piece of paper that I did because the uni's view on that was we're in the business to make money and get people degrees, right? So as long as they pass, if we pair them with you and you've got to do all the work because you're conscientious and you want to get the high distinction and they ride your coattails and they get the same mark and they get the same bit of paper at the end, then is it really valuable? I mean, I don't know.
0: Right, yeah, I'd never looked at it that way because I haven't had the pleasure of, um, of going through the same on the same path that, that you've gone on. But that's a very interesting <laughs> perspective. I've never thought of before. You've worked for News Corp and uh, had dealings with the Murdochs in your younger days, and cut your teeth on a number of IT areas. You've got yourself an MBA and educated yourself. You have been involved in massive, massive multimillion dollar global transformations. And that's more career. And, and, uh, and I know you like motorbikes and I know I'd call you a, a man's man. I don't know why we're friends because um, <laughs> I'm a pussy, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'd, uh, I'd call you a man's man. You've had a great career and it's worked out and it's working out and you're very successful in what you do, both in your attitude and your uh, career and your personal life. And so what would Shane today tell a young Shane back in the day starting out? It's an interesting
1: one. I think often my reflection is that I, you 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 got kids, right? So you Mm. can tell them to be blue in the face. And they're not going to listen, and they're going to do it and figure it out themselves. They might take a little bit of heed some advice, but for the most part, they're going to have to learn themselves. So I feel like telling 21-year-old chain anything, he's probably just going to you know, flip me the bird and he'll figure it out on his own. But I think what took me a long time to figure out was the importance of self-belief. Um, because I reckon yeah, the that, that famous you know, Roosevelt quote, you know, believe you can and you're halfway there so true right I think a lot of times you know I wouldn't have the confidence to go and start the conversation with the person that I need to or take a position in a in an argument that perhaps I should have or something like that which would have fundamentally changed the outcome or got us a better position or something would have been done would have happened differently you know like when I was a I think a 19 year old I was kicking around with a bunch of mates who had a band and would occasionally jump up and sing a song on the stage and whatnot got to about 22, 23, and the introvert in me wouldn't even go up and start a conversation in a networking event, right? What happened? What changed? I'm not sure. So I feel like, you know, part of that would be if you can believe in yourself and you can find a mechanism to help you, then, you know, that what's his name, the Wolf of Wall Street, Belfort, Jordan Belfort had that, you know, I think it was in the movie but it might have been in the book. It was that, you know, the only thing standing between you and the goal is the story you keep telling yourself as to why you can't achieve it. And I reckon there's a whole bunch of, you know, thinking behind that that I'd be saying to, you know, stop telling yourself that that person's going to say no or, you know, go and ask the girl at the bar for her number because what's the worst that could happen? Nothing. Like she's going to go buzz off and you're okay, whatever. But if you're too chicken to ask because she might say no, then you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that kind of, you know, that whole imposter phenomenon that kind of creeps in there, even when you're super successful and you've got you know, all the accolades and stamps on, on, your, on your chest and whatnot to show how successful you are. I reckon every one of us has still got a little bit of self-doubt every now and again. So I reckon that, you know, I think about around about the time of uni, so doing this master's, right? It occurred to me that I didn't like public speaking. I know no, you're a public speaker. So you might find this fascinating, right? I didn't have any desire to stand up in front of a bunch of people and have something to say. But I figured out around about that same time I'm going through this transition of more senior roles in News Corp. I'm going through this degree and I'm you know, having to stand up in front of people and present. And it occurs to me that that's a really useful skill to be able to get up and, and have something to say and keep people entertained and, and, and keep them on track. But I just couldn't get out of my own way. And so, you know, I had this idea that I've got to figure out a way to get out of my own way. So I think this is, so my, my the trick I ended up using was I would just repeatedly tell myself, you're great at presenting. You've done this a thousand times. People love your presentations. You're really good at this stuff. And say it over and over and over and over and over again to the point where your brain doesn't know the difference between whether you're telling it the truth or not. It just goes, let's run with this. You're awesome. Um, Jump out there, do the first presentation. Presentation would have been terrible, right? It would have been shit. Uh, But in my head, nailed it. No, you know that you got it done right and then it's just that reinforcement of that self-belief to go well you've done it before so you can do it again and i feel like 21 year old me needs to know that and needed that strategy probably 10 years earlier and i think everyone can take something from that
0: those affirmations talking about it as if it's so yeah and having a Subconscious just believe it because it's going to believe the stories that you tell it yeah. anyway. That's a really powerful way to achieve and break through some of the barriers. And in this case, we're talking about breaking through the barrier of public speaking.
1: Yeah, but I think just more generally, right? If there's something that needs to be done, or you need to do, and public speaking for me was was a, a breakthrough one. But I think that the principle is the same, right? That 21 year old me needs to know that you know, self-belief and finding a mechanism to help you unlock that is going to be super powerful and super useful moving forward. But it's not something you can just do. It's kind of a skill you build up over time.
0: Yeah, but interesting. You can just do it because you can just say, I'm great at presenting. I've done this a lot of times. I'm prepared. They're going to love it. And then off you go and do it. So I just challenge you a bit there to go, you can do it straight away. Will it work and be as uh, efficient and whatnot straight away? Maybe you've got to build the muscle around that. We've talked a lot about that um, today about building the muscle, but I think you can do it straight away. I think it's a great strategy.
1: Well, you know, it's also helpful to have a wingman. As you'd remember, my, uh, was it 2014 keynote that I did where I had to have Captain Johnny in the wings just in case my voice cracked and went out after I'd been sick for a couple (laughs) of weeks prior to the preso.
0: That was amazing, I was the understudy and there was uh, quite a few people you were going to present to in an arena here in Melbourne and you had laryngitis, whatever, something with your voice, so I had to go up and do the rehearsal, which I absolutely loved and I'm sitting there in two minds thinking, I hope Shane doesn't get better so I can do this (laughs) (laughs) and then I was also thinking, holy crap. I'm not going to know until the last minute. So I had to be on, you know, up until the last minute where you went, no, I, I'm good to go and I can do it. And, of course, you were the most appropriate person to do it because you were the executive manager and that was the right person to be delivering what, what you were going to deliver. But, yeah, re- really interesting time and a good lesson in being prepared. You never know what's going to happen. So just be ready.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, 21-year-old Shane, that's the lesson, I think. That's stoke your self-belief. Is that the best way? You know, fake it till you make it?
0: yeah well that's that's an expression that's used and i think that's not as uplifting as uh, (laughs) as the other way that you put it (laughs) because fake it till you make it implies that imposter stuff that that we were talking about before Mm. so you're not an imposter you are training your mind to deliver the best outcome the outcome that you actually want
1: yeah i mean i often describe it as getting out of your own way
0: yes i like that expression as well so ultimately, it's you that's stopping yourself. It's you that's not going up there asking for that telephone number of that person you want to meet. It's you that's saying to yourself, I can't do this. And um, it's all happening in the, in the head. And in reality, what I've come to learn as well, why not me? There's other people doing that. So they might be doing their – I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, yeah, why, why not me? <laughs> Why the fuck got me? And a lot of people think about writing a book. Yeah. And you've actually done it. It's another thing that not just thought about but taken the action, used the mindset, got the results, and the result was called having a book. Not only is it a well-respected book in the business industry, it's an Amazon bestseller and 2021 Australian Business Books Awards finalist. So, again, that would have... You don't just sit around twiddling your thumbs and, you know, all of a sudden a book comes out. So, again, that's amount of discipline over a sustained period of time to produce a result that a lot of people in the world want to produce but never do. You've got to give us some gold as to what the hell's (laughs) going on there, mate. How did you do it? Did you want to give up but you kept going? You know, all the things. Give it to us.
1: So something I learned about myself, and on reflection, it's been a thing forever, right? Who will talk about, you know, um, plan to fail, fail to plan—you know those sorts of things, right? The reality is, until I've got a deadline, nothing's going to happen. You know, I know it's—I know it's coming. I know it's due, but if it's still two weeks away. I've got plenty of time. And then you know, uni, 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 uni papers were written the night before over a bottle of Jack Daniels and Coke, right? So um, it's always that—you know—you've got a deadline coming. And so part of the part of the mind hack to get the book done was to set the date that it needed to happen and work backwards. Uh, and so it was it was a mentor of mine at the time and still good friend, Alex Hagen, who challenged me to write the book. And he said, you know, you're already doing these workshops and you're telling people about this stuff, but like having a book will create authority and, you know, credibility and whatnot. But also it's going to force you to write this stuff down because that's useful in terms of, you know, working with your clients and whatnot, being able to give them something, but also then have something to refer to.
0: Yeah, and in previous episodes, we've uh, said things like think it and ink it because there's power in that.
1: But also then going through that process now, I guess the the benefit of that is it makes you challenge your thinking. It makes you really deeply dive into some of the concepts that you would normally just sort of spit off. I said, right, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to be a published author by my birthday of that particular year. So to have the book in people's hands, I went and spoke to an editor and I said, So what's the process? How does this work? Um, and what are the rough timelines? So well from the time you get me your first draft, then there'll be, you know, several edits. Let's just let's just take the median and that's about three. Um, and then you've got all the different things that happen with the book from, you know, um, typesetting and creating artwork and whatnot. So to have it done by your birthday, which my birthday is in June, you need to have your manuscript done. By end of March. And then we'll have it out with So I went, okay, to have it done by the end of March. And remember, this is probably six or eight months prior to March that I'm working through this stuff. Uh, okay, so to have it done by March, then, you know, it's probably going to be 30-ish thousand words. That's probably about 12 chapters. And you're kind of working your way back and you're, okay, so I need to have this amount of time. Yeah, all right, I need to start next week. And I need to pump out X amount of chapters per week and what have you. Uh, but I went deadline needs to be real it can't just be a deadline that i can move right so you know when when in in business it's like this is the deadline because something else needs to happen down the chain deadline can't move um when you work for yourself you could quite easily just you know kick the can down the road so to speak so much like my uni degree i said the easiest way to solve this problem is to put your money where your mouth is so i paid for the editor (laughs) went there you go there's your money you're paid and she said, and I said, but you, I need you to hold me to account, which is if I don't get you the manuscript on that day, I've lost my money. And she said, so what you want to pay me, and then if you don't deliver, I don't have to give you the money back. So absolutely, that's that's got to be the deal. I need you to proactively push me and go, you've only got this many days. You've only got this many days. Where can I help? You know, Ask me, r- do whatever you think you need to do in terms of being a coach to get me to the point where I land. But if I miss the deadline, we're done. You, get, you keep the money. My book doesn't get published. I created that so that I had a hard deadline that I knew I couldn't slip. Uh, and then, second hack was I put a reward on it. So that was a stick. Then I put a reward on it, which is I booked a two-week holiday with the family up in Bright in sort of northeast Victoria. Beautiful part of it. And a cabin right on the water next to the lake for a couple of weeks. Not like the um, creek or river. A couple of weeks. Ubbins River. So right, there's my carrot and there's my stick. Now I've got to write the book, right? So, as you can imagine, I described my, my style. This thing's due on the 31st of March. I'm on my Christmas holidays going. I've written about 1,200 words. Probably should get started. <laughs> right? Now, that's not to that say I hadn't done any work. I'd been getting ideas down on paper and drawing some models. I'd like to think out loud and I like to draw stuff. So often I'd be having a conversation with someone and i go, this needs to go in my book and I'd flip open the thing and I'd be talking to them, drawing pictures and whatnot. That that kind of process had started. As you do, you're writing blogs and you're interviewing people and so you're researching. And so as I'm going through, I'm collecting articles and stories and artefacts from the internet and whatnot. But actually sitting down and writing the book hadn't happened. Uh, So then beyond that, it was, okay, well, you've only got this many weeks left. You really need to to knock this stuff out of the park. So do some some research about how people write books and all this sort of stuff. What I came up with was the best time for me to, although I'm not a morning person, I hate getting out of bed in the morning. I'm most creative first thing. So set your alarm for 5 a.m., get up and make a coffee, and spend the first two hours of the day working on that book before anybody else wakes up. And at 7 o'clock, drop the tools, done. Don't touch the book again for the day. Spend the day doing work and family and all the things you need to do. And the book is those first two hours in the morning, which is great because there's no – nothing else is going on. No one's going to be ringing you, texting you, whatever, because everyone else is still asleep. It's still dark outside, although that time of year was light early morning. But, you know, you get the idea. So that was the second hack.
0: I love those two things. So, so, so much in that. You had the self-awareness to know how you operate and then you plugged into that. So we might not have the self-awareness to know how we operate. So that's one thing. If you don't know how you do things, well, maybe you do. Instinctively, you probably know yourself and go, actually, I'm going to need this. Or if this doesn't happen, I'm just not going to do it. So I love the fact that you held yourself accountable. Actually, you didn't hold yourself accountable. You I outsourced. made it. <laughs> accountability happen by putting the money down and going, you're going to get the money, you've got to help me, but if I miss the deadlines... I'm responsible. So you took responsibility as well, but you put in a mechanism for accountability. So on the book, Shane, I know you've got an offer for our Rise and Thrivers, our podcast audience. So tell us about the offer and the value that our audience can get.
1: So the book's available in print and digital. And my offer to your audience is when you go, you know, we'll put the link in the show notes, whatever. But when you go to the checkout on my website and you're ordering the book, if you want to order the digital one, uh, the code will be Rise and Thrive and that'll get you the book for nothing. So you'll get a downloadable ebook. You can have that. Uh, If you want a print copy of the book, then you'll get a 10% discount.
0: That's excellent, mate. So you can get a free copy of your book by simply putting in Rise and Thrive in the promo code once you check out from your website, which is shanewilliams.com.au. Yeah.
1: Now, sometimes people are like, you know, a book's great, but I really want to have a conversation. So I'll one-up it. I'll say, you know what? Typically on my website, I've got an offer called Ask Me Anything. You can pay 500 bucks and you can have 30 minutes of my time. You can ask me anything. But if you want to go through the website and book a 30-minute session in my diary, mention that you came to me through Rise and Thrive, and I'll waive the 500.
0: Shane, that is super generous and I'm very appreciative and I hope our audience takes you up on those uh, offers to be able to ask you anything, which is normally $500. You're going to be able to get that for free by mentioning Rise and Thrive and the ebook for free. And if if you want the hardback, it's great to have a a book like that in in your shelves as well. You get a 10% discount. Shane, I can't thank you enough. That's uh, That is super generous. You've been generous with your time today. You've given us so much gold on leadership, heaps of gold, including the cognitive restructuring, what it takes to be a leader, some of the things that you've done, some hacks, as they call it, to get results. It's just been a treasure trove of gold for the audience, and I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Mate, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the uh, opportunity
0: another incredible episode of a rise and thrive conversations for greatness i hope this conversation has ignited a fire within you inspiring you to take bold steps towards your own path of greatness and guess what the journey doesn't end here there's so much more to explore learn and achieve so if you're hungry for more insights more inspiration and more strategies to fuel your personal and professional greatness get ready because the next episode is just around the corner. Every Tuesday, to be precise, where we'll continue to unravel the secrets to unlocking your extraordinary potential. Don't miss out on the chance to keep rising and thriving with us. Hit the subscribe button and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And remember, greatness is not a destination. It's a continuous journey, so let's embark on it together. Thank you so much for being part of the Rise and Thrive community. It means so much to me that you're listening. And my wish for you is that you get so much out of doing so. Keep reaching for the stars, keep pushing your boundaries and keep embracing the challenges that come your way because that's how we truly grow. Stay tuned, stay motivated and get ready to rise and thrive. If you're finding value from our conversations, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family and colleagues. Together we can create a ripple effect of positivity, optimism and positive change keep shining brightly your greatness knows no bounds and remember be great and stay awesome let me fucking get that right because that's just a whole lot of bullshit
1: It's all right, You've got to edit out me going, what the fuck are we talking about? So we're all good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll do that, yeah.